After a global pandemic and macroeconomic uncertainty, the future is a new abnormal and consumer expectations are rising when it comes to finding the best brand for each individual's needs. This week on Umbrella, the team sits down with Google Australia and New Zealand's Managing Director of Sales Specialist, Reese Williams, to discuss how automation can help your business navigate through these shifts with ease. Read all about it on umbrella.com.au. Welcome to this special year in news media wrap of the Mumbrella Cast. I'm your host, Calm Jasper, and I have a fantastic panel joining here today. First up, I want to welcome Peter Blunden, who is the National Executive Editor of News Corp Australia. Welcome, Peter. Hi, Callum. Good to be here. Great to have you here. And next up, a warm welcome back to the Mumbrella Cast in 2022. For the second time this year, CEO of the Australian Associated Press, Lisa Davies. Welcome, Lisa. Hi, Callum. Great to see you again. And finally, another warm welcome to Dan Stinton, the National Managing Director of Guardian Australia. Hey, Dan. G'day, Callum. Thanks for having me. Pleasure to have you all joining me today. We've uh, beaten a couple of firewalls and several applications, but let's uh, let's, <laughs> let's crack straight into it. Um, so after several years of potential turmoil and hyperbole about the decline of news and newspapers, um, Things seem to have settled down a little bit. Peter, let's start with you. How do you see the uh, overall state of news media right now? Look, I think, Callum, it's always been change and transition in our business for as long as I can remember. So it's not new. Uh, the pace of change is accelerating, though, and it's, it's a very different looking industry to what it was to, uh, than it was about five years ago. Um, I, I think the whole subscription model, the, the digital transition, and we're now in the era of, uh, of charging for digital content, which I think a lot of people were sceptical about before, but it now forms the foundation of uh, of a lot of businesses in this country. Lisa, we'll go to you next. Yeah, um, I tend to agree. I mean, it has been a huge uh, shift in in the way people are consuming their news as well. And I think over the last, yeah, specifically the last five years, it has been, I agree with Peter, a real shift to subscription models in all kinds of um, media outlets. The other thing I would say is that I do think there is a bit of a um, a case of the haves and the have-nots in media at the moment. Um, I think there are those people who get a lot of money from, say, the um, digital platforms, and then there are those who don't. And I think there is a bit of, um, we do have a media diversity problem, which, of course, um, speaking from my perspective, is, a, is, a, is an issue that AAP tries to really um, to, to help solve by um, supporting um, all those outlets that, that don't have access to those those big dollars. And and Dan, you can round us out there. Um, look, I'm largely going to echo uh, what Peter and Lisa have said, but I think it's fair to say I'm, I am more optimistic now about the state of the news media industry than I've been certainly in the last sort of 25 years of my career. And that's for two reasons, which again, we've both touched on. I mean, one of them is, is reader revenue in its many forms. I mean, subscriptions for most publications and, and largely voluntary contributions for The Guardian. Um, but more than a half of our revenue now comes from our readers, which uh, has you know, genuinely transformed uh, the prospects for, uh, I think, our whole industry. And yeah, the second one, uh, I've been picking up on what Lisa said, you know, most of us, I acknowledge not all of us, Lisa, but most of us have done really substantial deals with with the platforms off the back of the news media bargaining code. And for The Guardian, at least, that's enabled us to make really substantial investments in our newsroom, which, again, more journalism, more audience, more advertising, more reader revenue. So um, I'm pretty optimistic about the state of things. Cool. Well, um, I, w- I was going to start off with, uh, I guess, following on from that about uh, the, some of the biggest stories of the year. But I think seeing as there was a pretty unified response across those first answers there, let's, let's dive straight into the commercial models. Um, so obviously, we've got a few different, I guess, perspectives on this um, on, on the call here. Peter, um, recently, News Corp announced that it had reached the million mark for its digital subscribers. Um, can you start by just taking us a little bit through uh, what what the process has been for shifting towards that sort of approach, putting all of your content behind um, a paywall and recently some things like the podcast as well, sure. and I guess how you position that to your readers in order to really justify those paid subscriptions. Yeah, uh, look, I, can, I, th- I guess we're in both spaces, really. I mean, we have our, 
the top you know digital sites when you combine our metro mastheads in particular and the australian we've reached over a million subscribers which a lot of people were probably cynical about but we've also got the the top free site as well in news.com.au and of course you can imagine you know wrestling wrestling the priorities you know look to to, to build a business the foundation has to be to create journal journalism that people are prepared to pay for and it's tough look we've got some some terrific internal measuring systems now um, Verity, for instance, which tells tells us what the audiences want. And we've got to gear our content towards what the audiences tell us they want to read more of. So there's a an hour-by-hour hour shift sometimes into to, uh, focusing on some stories and dropping off others. So that's sort of helped it. Retention is a big issue. We've got to, we've got to create content and give our audiences an experience that they're prepared that they, don't, they won't walk away from. And that's a real challenge for any subscription business. So we work pretty hard. We've set aspirational goals, specific goals, right across the company year after year since we started this journey. And I can remember when we set the goal of 800,000, we thought we're never going to get there. And to reach a million, it's quite a milestone. But, gee, it's, there's no winning post here. We've got to keep on building and we've got aspirational goals going forward. And news.com has got to win that battle um, in, the, in the free space. So it's a very different world. And, frankly, we're still in newspapers as well. And, uh, and they're going okay. So stabilising the, the print game, uh, we're in both spaces. So our newsrooms are pretty interesting uh, places in 2022. Yeah, and I want to get on to print strategy a little bit later on. Um, but, Dan, on the other side, Guardian has maintained its content um, free for everyone to read. Of course, you do have those... Um, very prominent but gentle reminders of uh, of donations um what was i guess the strategy there it's similar to in the uk you've got this sort of um i guess brother sister relationship um what, what was the decision making been in order to decide to keep everything free for your readers relying still quite heavily on advertisers and then i guess um hoping that you've got the trust within your readers to to donate where they can uh, yeah, I mean, Callum, we introduced uh, a fairly unique um, reader revenue model uh, some years ago. Uh, I should say it predates my time with the company. I think it was about seven or eight years ago now. Um, but it's been tremendously successful. So, you know, we are largely ask our readers for voluntary financial contributions. And um, the, the reason that most people do that is because they buy into the purpose of our organisation, they buy into the journalism that we do and they want to support it. By the way, I don't think that makes us as different as it might seem to uh, the other news publishers, uh, whether that's News Corp or Nine or, or the like. One of the main motivations for anyone to support um, uh, a news publisher is because they believe in the importance of the journalism. So in our in our case, case we are um, committed to leaving our journalism open and available to all, not just those that can afford to read it. But the motivations of people that do is because they want to support our journalism and they also want to buy into that mission of, of making sure that our journalism is available to all. I mean, the other side of this is, as a result, you know, advertising is still a very important part of our business, uh, and we are still very um, bullish about its prospects going forward. So, you know, you balance both, but reader revenue is is more than half now um, and growing pretty strongly. So we we think there's a way to go. And, and then, Lisa, you've obviously got this um, interesting perspective because you were at, um, as Dan mentioned there, nine, one of Nine's papers, the Sydney Morning Herald, up until um, last year. Now, obviously, the uh, AAP has deals across the media. What, what's, um, what, I guess, from the AAP view, what's the impact of these sort of, I know you weren't there um, prior to that, but these fragmenting or differing strategies for um for subscriptions and commercial models where for example we had james chessel talking at mumbrella's um published conference earlier this year about how there's the real strategy to kind of focus on exclusive content how does that sort of work when you're trying to provide um news content to multiple sources at a, 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 a single time yeah. Well, I mean, I think the basic premise of AAP is and always has been that we do provide wholesale news and we provide that baseline coverage, allowing every other outlet um, to add their point of difference on top. So whether you're um, the editor of the Wagga Daily Advertiser, um, the West Australian, or an editor at The Guardian, you can allocate your resources according to what we are covering um, and, and provide that point of difference. So whether you're, you know, allowing um, at the Sydney Morning Herald to take an AAP 
um, rugby league match report so that Andrew, you know, to free up a resource to go and grab an exclusive interview that is, you know, that is an issue that is key for Herald readers or, you know, providing that scope for Andrew Webster to do his his big in-depth interview on the, you know, the player of the week or whatever it is. So, I, look, I don't think it has changed terribly much. I think the clients of ours that are using AOP the best are the ones who are really engaging with our content. They are using our agenda service, which is the national diary and our and our planning tool to, to allocate their resources accordingly. I mean, it's no other than, um, you know, News Corp and The Guardian, perhaps most newsrooms are shrinking or at least stabilising. So the resources are getting tight and, or, you know, continue to be tight. They've, they've always been tight probably. So I think where people can, um, you know, whether, you know, running a newsroom, you can you can allocate those resources and rely on us, then then all the all the better for it. And I would just say on the on the um, on the kind of revenue model side, like AAP is quite an interesting um, case study in a in variety of revenue streams. We um, obviously two years ago became an independent not-for-profit. The business was restructured in that way, which I actually think is terrific, allowing a lot of philanthropy to be um, a part of our content mix, um, you know, supported by philanthropists and, and they continue to respect our charter of independence. Um, but we also do have um, a much needed government funding as well as, as, well as a, you know, a pretty thriving commercial business too. Um, as everyone knows, news is expensive to make and cheap to buy. So they just will continue to be with a wire service. Um, you know, the, the requirement for that support as it is with all international wire services. Unfortunately, it's a, it is a really challenged business model. Peter, how have you seen, um, I guess, those changes to uh, the, the business model across the industry and in particularly um, at News Corp, as Lisa said, um, few newsrooms are expanding at the moment. What are the, the sort of areas of growth that you're experiencing um, from a news uh, perspective in the last few years? Yeah, I think the whole way we tell stories has changed dramatically and continues to evolve. You know, we're learning that people really engage with video and with audio, and we've had a, a lot of successful, as a lot of businesses have, successful podcasts, which really build big audiences. So that combination of, of, of video and text and graphics and ways of telling stories are the ways that we continue to, to try to improve uh, what we give our readers. I think that user experience means everything. And that means making changes, bringing new skill sets into the uh, into the newsrooms, bringing, bringing fresh talent, fresh eyes. Um, but, you know, in the end, it, it, it is still, I think, really largely about getting the story. It's the story that matters, mm -hmm. getting the story first. And I think, you know, touched on the exclusivity. Of course, you've got to do that. I mean, every journalist aspires to get the story first and and tell it the best way we can. So, look, it's a pretty competitive environment. It's great. Keeps, keeps everyone on their toes. Um, and it's quite a battlefield. But certainly the industry, look, I think it'll look different even further you know we do have to invest in uh you know non-traditional means of of telling stories and i think it'll it'll continue to change so just on that let's um return to what i mentioned earlier um dan let's start with you here from a purely guardian perspective um what do you think i guess internally was your biggest story of the year commercially biggest story commercially uh I'm not sure if it's a bigger story commercially, but I think the biggest story and certainly the biggest uh, investment that we made this year was uh, actually on a story which is pretty relevant to our industry and umbrella listeners in general, and that was the Ben Robert Smith defamation mm -hmm. um, case. Mm. I mean, look, this was a fascinating story um, to begin with, right? I mean, obviously, the evidence that was given um, in that case uh, gave us a pretty rare insight into what it was like for the soldiers on the battlefield. Um, I'll put that aside, though. I think what is relevant for perhaps my umbrella listeners is that it also had this really substantial uh, media component of play, obviously. So Ben Robert Smith, uh, employee of Seven West Media, I should I should declare also a former colleague of mine. Um, uh, but, you know, has has been reported his case is being funded by uh, Seven's majority shareholder, Kerry Stokes, against the major competitor uh, in the nine um, newspapers. So, uh, I mean, it's a pretty compelling uh, story. It was also a really complicated story. Because Nine and News Corp were, um, well, you know, by definition, they weren't disinterested parties, it, it made it difficult, I think, for them to report on the case itself. And it opened up an opportunity for The Guardian to do our Ben Robert Smith versus the media podcast, which probably a lot of people uh, will have listened to by now. But if not, sorry for the plug, but I would encourage everyone to go and have a listen to it. It was such a complicated story. 
we went as far as hiring voice actors to um, actually read out verbatim what was said in the court because you couldn't take recording devices into the courtroom and tell the story that uh, that took place in, in in the courtroom over over several months it's a really compelling listen for the story itself but also because of the media component to it and ben doherty who was our, our lead reporter on this did a really fantastic job so that's probably the one that is most significant for us that took uh, probably the most investment um and is just a really you know cracking podcast for those that haven't haven't heard it yet yeah, I did um, listen to that. And we had the we had um, some representatives from the Guardian on a few weeks ago, and here to talk about it ahead of its uh, launch. Um, Lisa, you spoke about the uh, unique uh, revenue or business model at um, AAP. What what was the biggest um, story internally for you this year? Um, I think just the investment that we continue to put into our federal politics coverage is probably. Um, well, I mean, there's two parts, I suppose, but the, my, the main one I think is um, I've made a commitment to um, get back on the road with our nation's leaders. Um, I think it's important that, particularly given just we see the way this federal election played out and the real um, fragmenting in some ways, but that sort of, um, uh, you know, shattering of the two-party system with the rise of the Teals and um, the independents. I think, you know, we want to really invest in getting out there as much as possible. So we have, um, you know, made a commitment. I mean, COVID obviously put a bit of a um, blanket on people travelling, but we definitely have, are trying to find as much room in our budgets as possible to support our um, coverage both nationally and internationally with with political leaders um, and also really um, do the work in going to as many I mean a lot obviously a lot of our subscribers are regional and we we put a lot of investment into making sure that those regional readers are properly engaged with the issues that matter to them on the national stage so I think um, from that perspective the other one really is, We've established um, a series of desks, which are uh, specialist reporting desks that are supported by philanthropists. And these are real issues that I think are, you know, they just would not be getting covered in the regions if it weren't for us. Things like future economy, so our energy transition. Um, uh, you know, I'm shortly to um, hopefully um, announce an Indigenous Affairs desk. It's very crucial that we have factual reporting on 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 issues as they relate to Indigenous Australians, particularly in the lead up to the referendum in the next 12 to 18 months, um, but also, you know, environment coverage and, um, you know, arts and, and those sorts of things are, are the desks that are sponsored by philanthropists. And um, we, we really do, I think, provide a pretty vital service to, um, to you know, all of our clients in terms of providing that in-depth. And they're not just like daily news stories. There are some features and we do you know, this is not a behind the desk kind of um, op opportunity. It's like we do send them out and out to the regions and out to covering stories. So I think, you know, hopefully that really helps elevate the quality of the content that we're providing. Um, and also, you know, it's in the national, national and public interest. And then Peter, finally from you, I know you mentioned a little bit before there, but what do you think was that, that main um, commercial storyline coming out of News Corp this year? Well, yeah, the, you know, the, the big story is obviously the Russian invasion of Ukraine uh, was enormous and, of course, a change of government in Australia and a new Prime Minister. Um, but enormous audiences, really, with the passing of the Queen. Um, we produced, you know, wraparounds and uh, part works and uh, special tribute magazines, etc. Um, there was an enorm enormous amount of interest in reading about Her Majesty at that time. Um, and the other momentous moment really was the, the tragic uh, and premature loss of, of Shane Warne. Um, and, uh, you know, we learned about that at, you know, in the early hours of the morning and had to produce special editions during the during the night. Um, substantial coverage worked in collaboration with Fox Sports, who, which managed to do a, uh, a, a lengthy sort of documentary and, you know, uh, a special tribute to, to Warner. And there were enormous audiences for those. So for all the wrong reasons, and there were some, some uh, and we lost some Australian icons this year in People like Olivia Newton-John as well, and Judith Durham, Archie Roach. So it was um, it was one of those years. But I think the Russian invasion of Ukraine was the one of most global significance, without a doubt. Uh, and domestically, um, it's yet to be seen. You know, the new prime minister will have some plans for for, for 2023, and we'll watch that with great interest.
Yeah, I mean, on that with the change in in government, um, what do you sort of? Um, it'd be interesting to get this perspective from each of you. What are you sort of expecting um, from a uh, news regulation or um, policy perspective? Do you see much changing? Is there much to be positive about? Or is there anything particularly um, that's taken taken your your interest, Dan? Uh, yeah, I mean, probably the thing that is most relevant to our industry is a relatively boring topic which um, uh, for whatever reason I find quite interesting, and that's privacy. I mean, I think there is, the Privacy Act was already under review uh, with the previous government, um, but I think that the hacks that we have seen or the data breaches we have seen with Optus and Medibank Private have really focused the minds of, uh, mind of the Attorney General and, and the government in general to, to take action on this. And it's potentially a really significant story for our industry because, uh, I mean, if, for those of you that, haven't read the discussion paper, and I, sus I suspect that's most of you that the government put out some some months ago. I mean, if if all of the things in that discussion paper were adopted by the government, then it would be a, a very substantial change to the way that the digital advertising market works. Now, I doubt that's likely to happen. I think that there's probably going to be more of a middle ground here. But nonetheless, we have to realise, I think, as an industry, that Australia has some of the most relaxed privacy regulations in the world, certainly compared to uh, Europe and California, which is effectively the US. And that's going to change probably next year, if not the year after. And that's going to result in a pretty significant change to the way that digital advertising operates. Um, privacy is something which is, you know, consumers are increasingly concerned about. And I think as an industry, we need to get ahead of it. Uh, any thoughts on on that from uh, either you or Lisa or Peter? Oh, I'm, I'm not a privacy expert, um, but it certainly... Thank God for that, Lisa. <laughs> <laughs> I had a few other things on my mind. Um, I would just say quickly a couple of things. One, that it will be interesting to see uh, the Treasury re review of the News Media Bargaining Code. I don't expect a huge amount will change, but I, mm -hmm. I think it will be fascinating to see on the back of everyone's submissions um, if, if any, any tweaks are made to it and what, what that looks like going forward. Obviously, I'm... A, um, I mean, I, I did put in a submission, but we're not really, we don't have skin in the game because we're not entitled to negotiate under the code as we're not a consumer-facing um, outlet. But I do think um, it's a fairly interesting um, state of affairs and we'll see what happens as the as the deals come up over the next couple of years. Um, and just the defamation laws. I mean, there's a big, a fairly big case happening next year between um, Lachlan Murdoch and the crikey um, uh, outlet, which uh, I think will be, as I understand it, the first big test of the new defamation laws, which were brought in earlier this year. So um, that will certainly be very interesting to see um, how that plays out, the variety of issues that the case raises. And Peter, anything yeah. off the back of that? No, look, I, I don't see any significant policy intervention uh, in the in the uh, in the wind at the moment. Um, you know, I, I think. I think the Australian media, you know, by and large, is, is is very responsible, and integrity means everything to us. And as long as we keep our noses clean, um, you know, we, we we believe in you know, obviously, strong proponents of free speech, and long may that last. Yeah. So, Lisa, you mentioned the um, news media bargaining code there, Dan. Uh, the Guardian and News Corp, Peter, both obviously have um, deals with some of the major. Um, platforms there what do you sort of uh, i know lisa sort of gave her opinion there, but ha dan we'll start with you what do you sort of see of the state of play of the bargaining code just now we've obviously heard rumors that meta might pull out of news what 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 kind of um i guess troubles does that throw up how reliant are you on it now and i guess ha is it a, an addition or um Oh, where do we start? Look, look. I think um, the, the news media bargaining code was obviously a pretty um, fractious debate uh, for between sort of publishers and and the tech platforms uh, for the previous couple of years. But now that we have all gone and done, uh, or most of us, I should say, uh, Lisa, have gone and done large agreements um, with uh, Google and Facebook. I mean, look. Certainly, in our experience the relationship that we've got with Google and Facebook has never been better. Um, and we're working really closely with them um, and looking forward to working with them into the future. So obviously we are all hoping that our uh, respective agreements are renewed when they come up at, at different junctures over the next few years. Um, but the indications that I have from the platforms is that is that, that is likely. From our perspective, um, it is 
what the news media bargaining code deals enabled is effectively us to bring forward investment that we would have made in subsequent years. So we were already growing, we we're already going well, but we basically brought forward about three years worth of investment into one year, turbocharged the expansion of our newsroom, and that's had you know tremendous commercial benefits as well. Look, I mean, it is quite clear that Facebook in particular are going in a direction which is more towards creators and away from professional, professionally produced content. They have said that publicly. That's a concern. Um, I guess though we'll see, uh, we just have to wait and see how this plays out and how far down that direction they go. I mean, I still think when uh, a significant proportion of their audience are using you know, Facebook in particular to access news, it would be a pretty brave decision to not have news available on that platform. But, um, but let's see what happens. Journalism can be a pretty expensive um, business, and you know we, we've always believed, and I think rightfully so, that you know pe people people should be helping pay those salaries. I think those deals have enabled us to invest more in journalism, uh, and I think bringing new talent. We we uh, hired thirty new cadets um, after that deal was done, and uh, and that's been a great investment. I think in investing in the talent of the future and trying to build careers for young people in our profession. And those deals certainly help that. And I, I, it's an enormous priority in our business to develop talent and build build uh, um, the, the next generation of journalists for Australia because, you know, we, we need them. You know, we, it's 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 not one of those things you can actually get your news by putting on Twitter. You know, the, the news and the content is created by by people who are, you know, hopefully well-trained. We, we've, we've got terrific training systems and great opportunities to spread uh, young people across our business in in regional centres and cities uh, and in all parts of the business and in broadcast and and you name it. So um, that's what that's done, and it's about people and and building that next generation. Yeah, yeah. And I was just going to say, I, I should say, even on, even though we are not, um, uh, you know, eligible to sort of cut those kind of deals, we do have we have had a lot of support from Google, for example. They sponsor our cadet. Um, you know, earlier this year, I re-established our AP's cadet program and we have five um, cadets um, kicking goals already, which is fantastic. And um, we're optimistic about the future of that for next year as well. Um, and they've also helped us out with a couple of other, um, uh, you know, we kind of inherited some legacy systems that urgently need um, renewal. So Google is supporting our transition with some of that. And also on the on Meta Facebook side, um, we have uh, commercial arrangements with them around our fact-checking and media literacy campaigns. So um, we're doing some great work with them and, and very grateful for those, um, you know, those engagements and that support. And Lisa, we had, had a conversation from the previous treasurer, Josh Frydenberg, um, about potential designation of platforms. We do talk about the main two, which are uh, the dominant two, uh, Meta and Google, Facebook. Um, what, what's your thoughts, Lisa, on, for example, something like TikTok, which has been kind of brought into conversation recently? Do you think any other platforms should or maybe should be included or maybe should be designated? Um, I'm probably not the best person to ask about that. Um, I would say I forgot to mention that TikTok, um, we are also doing lots of work with around fact-checking um, and a lot of uh, really important work is being done around misinformation and disinformation that is circulating on social media. So um, we've been very happy with the engagement from those three, actually. TikTok in particular has yep. gone, really come come to the party on that. Um, so yeah, it's it's good. Um, I'm not I'm yeah not as not as uh, not as sure about the designation under the code. So I might let Dan answer that one. Let's handball that to Dan. <laughs> Uh, thanks, Lisa. Um, look, I don't know if I necessarily want to say what other platforms should be, I think, should be designated at this point, but I, I just want to bring it back to first principles if I could. I mean, you have to remember the, the reason why we're here, right? So we view all of these channels, as I'm sure most publishers do, as um, you know, a really effective marketing channel in some way because we're, we're able to get our journalism out to audiences that might not be able to see us otherwise. We're also, though, mindful of the fact that for a cohort of users, they never leave the platforms where the news, the, the journalism is being distributed. And so you have to constantly weigh up, okay, well, where is where is the benefit lying? Is the benefit lying more with uh, the publishers who are getting a marketing benefit from this and an audience benefit from this, or are they lying more with the platforms where consumers are um, you know, consuming the journalism on the digital platforms, not visiting the owned and operated sites of the publishers, and therefore, uh, effectively are consuming all of the benefits of that journalism are flowing to the platforms and not the other way around. Now, previously, obviously, the ACCC found that that was the case with Google and Facebook. 
But obviously, this industry is changing so damn fast. I mean, I don't think TikTok is there yet, but it could be in the future. Mm -hmm. And there's many other platforms that, um, that could be there as well. One thing that I would like to see out of the News Media Bargaining Code review report when it drops, and one thing that we called for was um, some clearer criteria around how we can assess which platforms should be designated going forward, because I think that this industry changes so fast, we have to have that. And then another one, just a final one for you on this, um, Dan, the digital platforms inquiry is still rolling on. Um, do you expect us to see anything, I guess, uh, concrete out of that? Do you, do you think that Google's influence in the um, ad supplier chain maybe does need to be pulled back a little bit for the, I guess, what would you call it, the greater good of the Australian industry? Um, okay. So where do I start? Um, look, I think the problem that we have with the digital advertising uh, market in particular is that there is one player, Google, clearly, which has uh, a really substantial control of the demand from advertisers, as well as a really substantial of the supply from publishers, given that every publisher, uh, every significant publisher in Australia and indeed around the world uses their ad server. And that is problematic. That review is ongoing. Let's see where they end up. But I can see that the, the one thing that we definitely need to see within the programmatic uh, market in general is we need to see more transparency more transparency so we can actually know exactly what is taking place what advertisers are spending uh how much of that is flowing through to publishers how much is being taken not just by google but by thousands of other um you know middle operators as well the more transparency we can see in that market the better it will be and i think this market is going to be substantially impacted by again sorry to bring it up but the privacy review which is underway as well so i think we just have to wait and see how this plays out Callum. All right, let's um, change gears a little bit here. Peter, um, you are, uh, don't want to heap you with praise here, but you're a member of the Victorian Media Hall of Fame. Um, be good for you to tell us a little bit about how you think the, um, I guess the, the landscape of local news media, um, state by state, has changed in, I guess, the last two decades or so, aside from obviously the, the digital changes that we've already um trod over quite well what do you see as some of those big changes as being uh i think you know there, there's a very it's great focus on local local journalism um some of the things that we're doing now that are attracting audiences and people are subscribing to us for are things like uh, live streaming of of local sport which is something that if you asked me a couple of years ago i wouldn't have really seen that coming um what's fascinating is that we can actually measure you know hour by hour what's what's going on and and can i say on on the digital on the the digital platforms like TikTok, I mean it's very easy for us all in our newsrooms in mainstream media to say, well, this is a, this is a threat, this is a competitor. What I've been fascinated about is how many journalists who've been around the trucks for a long time actually embrace it, mm. and and okay. use use it to expose their journalism and dare I say their own personalities to to new audiences, new and younger audiences. And TikTok's been a phenomenon. The next big thing probably hasn't been invented yet, um, and it and it will change. But look, we're very much in that that hyper local space. I mean, you know, to be really honest, some, sometimes we ge we generate huge audiences from 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 local content. Uh, you know, dare I say, things like best pizza shops. So we're trying to we're trying to wrestle with you know big national political issues, uh, enormous stories like the eastern seaboard uh, floods, which have tended to be one of the biggest disasters in this country's history. While at the same time, people are actually switching on to to um, to stories that you know we we try to avoid doing clickbait you know we try we try to we try to um create journalism that that um is authoritative exclusive and and valuable but um I, I think it'll continue to change um but we'll certainly invest in new ways of telling stories that's that's the biggest change you know you know audio video and somehow packaging it in a way that brings a story together unlike we've ever done before and then lisa i guess in terms of since you've uh come into AAP, what are, what are some of the, I guess, the observations from your time working at um, a broadsheet such as the Sydney Morning Herald that you've thought would be great to introduce and have introduced um, to, to your service? Oh, that's quite, a, that's quite a tricky one. I think for us um, at AAP, like a lot of the things, um, you know, there, there's, a, there's, a, there's a lot of constraint on a newswire in the sense that um, we can't really control what happens after the story is published. 
Um, but a lot of our clients are now direct publishing to their sites. So we're really driving um, a lot of changes around, uh, you know, a lot of improvements around headlines and um, the way we're delivering content. One of the big challenges for us has been keeping um, uh, keeping pace with, with some of the technology changes, which is obviously what I referred to earlier around um, a technology upgrade that we've commenced because we really strongly believe that regional audiences deserve the same rich content that metro audiences receive. Um, and at the moment, we haven't been able to provide that and they will be relying on us to do that. So we've just actually this week completed an upgrade to our main, um, you know, content platforms here at Content Management System. So that early in the new year, we should be able to start providing rich text mm -hmm. and embedding um, multimedia so that those those subscribers can see the benefit of that that kind of content that the readers of you know the Guardian and the Sydney Morning Herald and the Australian um, receive. So um, very excited about that, um, and just a bit of rigor around. I mean, yeah, my my five years, nearly five years as editor of the Herald, taught me a lot about. Um, about the kinds of stories that, you know, th there's the stuff you have to do and there's the stuff you want to do and, and the balance between those. I think AAP um, probably, you know, needs to do, um, you know, a really great job of being all things to all people, but there are certainly things that I think we would want to try and experiment with once we get a bit more um, stability, like we're quite stable at the moment, but hopefully going forward that inc increased stability and um, starting to innovate around, um, just the types of content and, and and stories that we're that we're doing. At least, at least made a good point that that it is about the things you want to do and you should do. And I, I think the type of type of journalism that we should aspire to is is the type of journalism. Um, I thought a high water mark in in investigative journalism was reached this year with the uh, conviction of Chris Dawson for the murder of Lynn Dawson. Um, in that, in that, Headley Thomas through his podcast Teacher's Pet did something very boldly and uh, actually solved a murder that took that you know from 40 years of investigations couldn't uncover and I thought it was a as a triumph for journalism uh, we changed a lot of lives and, uh, and you know and I was privileged to meet some members of of the family recently and uh, and what Headley achieved for them is what journalism should be all about and there are a lot of other cases we've got some great journalists in Australia um, I, I get disappointed sometimes when I see social media channels and some of these faceless trolls uh, always uh, spewing bile against mainstream media, and and with and with, quite frankly, whether you're whether you're AAP or the Guardian or or Fairfax or our news limited publications, I mean, I think we try pretty hard to do a great service, and I think we should we should celebrate when journalism changes people's lives and make 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 it a better place. And I just think seeing justice in that case was was an extraordinary moment in journalism in this country. Mm. Yeah, that's a great point, Peter. Dan, do you have anything to add on top of that? Um, oh, look, I'm largely going to echo, I think, what Lisa and yeah. Peter have said. I mean, obviously, we're, we're distributing our content in different ways. Um, you know, I, I probably should call out a couple of specific examples. Uh, I, I suspect a lot of Umbrella listeners will know about this, but but Matilda Bosley has yep. been creating short videos yeah. for TikTok, which have been going absolutely ballistic for us. Um, and they're just it's just a really fascinating way of telling, uh, you know, doing journalism, particularly for younger readers, and you know that are getting literally millions and millions of views uh from people that otherwise wouldn't have seen it i mean this is where you see the benefit of these platforms and you see social media at its best is when you can use them to basically you know get real journalism out in a different format to audiences that otherwise wouldn't have seen it obviously i hope what comes from that Callum, is that all of those readers then in time become supporters of the guardian and, and come to us uh directly but um I, I guess we'll have to wait and see the other thing that we're investing lots in is, is I mean, similar to um, what Peter has mentioned. We're investing massively in podcasts, uh, video as well to some extent, but the economics of podcasts just add up a lot better for us. Um, yep. You can produce really high quality audio at a much cheaper rate than you can produce uh, video. And the audience uh, is just growing at such a rapid clip. Um, we are absolutely going to be investing more and more in this area. We've got our full story podcast, which is going well, and we're going to have a stack more to come. So, um, yeah, watch this space, I guess, Colin. I, I want to sort of um, turn our attention to election coverage a little bit as well, because we've had two pretty big ones this year, the federal election and the Victorian state election in the, the last week. There has been a lot of focus placed on the role within of the media this year um, within those cycles. Um, Lisa, we'll start with you. Um, you, you. Your time at the Sydney Morning Herald, what do you sort of make of the ongoing role of the 
the influence of media in political outcomes? Uh, I guess the starting point for me is that um, I just don't believe audiences want to be told what to think. I think it's very important that media outlets provide factual, you know, journalism opinion is, you know, columnists and 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 um, even a newspaper in the lead up to an election can have a view. But I think a constant, um, you know, constant stream of, of telling people how to how to vote or whatever is not is not useful. That's just my my personal view. I mean, obviously, at the Herald, they have a very strong columnists, just like they exist at all newspapers, and um, they're obviously entitled to their view. And and most of them have worked for a very long time to build up the credibility to have their opinions. But I think, um, I think we've just got to really guard against opinion and um, campaigning. Uh, becoming too much part of the news coverage. I just think there's a real distinction that needs to be made. I'm not saying it's um, exclusive to any particular outlet. I think it happens across the board. Um, I just think there's a real, and you see it with younger reporters wanting to jump straight into writing an opinion piece within a year of getting a job in journalism. It's just, um, you know, people like to have a view and like to debate politics. It's, it's you know, one of the big topics of conversation around dinner tables, pubs and um, ever in between in this country. So, um, you know, I, I guess I now work um, at a place that is, you know, prides itself on its factual, independent, um, objective journalism, and, and we steer a very, very straight line through all of that. But um, there's definitely a role for opinion. I just think it really, um, it just needs to stick to the opinion sections and, and leave it at that. Because I think that, I mean, I just think elections, elections, I think historically are not um, won by that kind of campaigning journalism. Peter, we'll come to you next. Well, I think having just gone through the Victorian election, I think sometimes when you attempt to hold politicians to account, it's it's viewed as some sort of campaign or or, um, or biased coverage. And I think there are a range of issues. I think our job is to shine a light on on issues. And we, we have had some things that, you know, there were, we've got a, quite quite a few live IBAC inquiries going in Victoria, and there were attempts to, to stifle that and put that off until after the election. And I think both the nine papers and ourselves took a pretty strong stand on that. Um, we tried to hold the government here to account on the biggest infrastructure project in Australian history, a suburban rail loop, which quite frankly, the Auditor General found does not have a business case. And uh, it was initially costed at $50 billion. Uh, it then came out at $125 billion for just the first two stages. So I think it's our job to question that. We were then promised a final costing before the election and they ducked for cover and didn't provide it. And I think when we go hard, all of a sudden, it's some sort of a News Corp campaign. I don't think that's right. And there were some stories that, that you know, were, were pretty, uh, you know, controversial. In in the end, the, the, the Liberal Party, quite frankly, he was pretty weak and they, they, they didn't they didn't do a great job. And, and frankly, we need we need strong leadership, and hopefully, hopefully the uh, the next uh, Andrew's term is um, is successful, and we can rein in some of this debt as well. And I actually just want to pick up on something Peter said. I think the holding government account is so important, and unfortunately, in the echo chamber of places like Twitter, um, they don't understand. You know, a lot of people don't understand what journalism is and what what our role is so I agree I get incredibly frustrated um when you sort of you know there was a there was a joke doing the rounds on Twitter yesterday about um praising um you know praising the media for their coverage of uh Gladys Berejiklian's ICAC inquiry in New South Wales yet coverage of Dan Andrews's ICAC inquiry was somehow deemed to be um you know absolutely beyond the pale it's like sorry they're the same thing um so i think i think there's just a there's a very poor understanding out beyond um beyond media circles um as to what our role is but i also think it means we we need to do we need to continually do better Dan, how do you kind of see, um, I guess, sifting between, I mean, that's a great example, Lisa, uh, just used there. I mean, maybe from a more commercial sense, I'll ask you, Dan, um, what are the sort of ramifications for um, for your relationship with advertisers when you are covering something that maybe is a bit more innately political? Um, oh, look, there's a small proportion of advertisers that are concerned about this, but I think that, you know, advertisers that come to The Guardian and indeed any mainstream news uh, masthead, I think, know what they're getting, right? Um, and sure, you can be next to some uh, journalism which can be divisive or people can have strong views about. I would argue that's a much better place to be in than 
the sewer that is social media at times. So uh, I'm not sure that um, uh, I would regard us as a, as a very brand safe environment. And the other thing that we have, obviously, is we have such strong affinity from our audiences for the respective masters. I mean, Guardian readers, and I'm sure Peter would argue very strongly for his masters as well, but Guardian readers are, you know, hugely engaged in what we do. Uh, in a way that you just don't see as you're scrolling through a newsfeed mm -hmm. while you're, you know, waiting for the toilet uh, in, on Facebook. So I, I just, it, it's, it's a, what publishers do provide for advertisers is a fantastic vehicle for, particularly for brand advertisers, but a fantastic vehicle for, um, for brands to be able to get their message out to an audience which is deeply engaged. And, and therefore, I would argue, and I think the evidence supports this, that, that advertising on news heads is more effective. Peter, would you yeah. agree there? And I guess how do you um, how do you go between that line of, for example, uh, getting um, the message not quite delivered properly in, in that environment of social media versus actually understanding the full context behind it? Well, you don't know what you're going to get if you're put, putting your ads on social media. And, and I think Dan's description of a sewer is a very appropriate word for it most of the time. There is some there is some good stuff there, and and I, I spend a bit of time looking for it. And I, and I don't know why I do sometimes because. I just shake my head. No, I think the environment we create. Look, I think very rarely. You know, sometimes I think we do stories that they're not that are not designed to to please, you know, advertisers. We've got a lot of commercial partners, and sometimes we do things that they're not excited about because it's it's journalism and the stories that need to be told. Um, but uh, no, I, I I I think trusted environments are really important for advertising. As soon as as soon as we lose the trust. Uh, of, our, of our market and to Dan's point about you know loyalty and passion people people do um, they, they are loyal and and they care about their products and as soon as we lose focus of what uh, of what they they want in that publication each day we hear about it that's the, the sign of engagement to us is if if we get something wrong or they don't, don't agree they, they engage and I think we we do see that in our digital platform the comments that we get on stories and they give us a they, they act as a terrific barometer to what what people are passionate about but Mm -hmm. that's, and that's that's it that's engagement you know you've got you've, you've got to win the loyalty and trust of your readers and sometimes like sometimes it can take years to build up and a few hours to lose so we're mindful of that Dan we're looking into 2023 uh, a lot has been said and, and rightly covered about the impact of I guess uncertainty of the economy right now um can you tell us maybe uh, from a from your perspective, are there any global trends that are on your radar right now that uh, might be coming your way, business trends um, or success stories that you're looking to learn from going forward? That's a very big question, Callum. How long have you got? Um, <laughs> Sorry, we can break that one. We can break that one apart. If we want. Uh, well, look, where do I start? I mean, look, some of some of what I would say is going to sound a bit repetitive, right? So from, yep. from the Guardian's point of view, obviously the trends are, you know, podcasting we've touched on, we think that's a big opportunity. We're going to be investing more in that next year. Reader revenue, we think that's we still think that's got a long way to go. And so we're going to be investing more in that. One thing that The Guardian is doing, by the way, is I've talked about the fact that our journalism is, is free and available to all, even those that can't afford it. We are going to experiment, I think, with a little bit more of charging for curation, though. So uh, you'll see more of that from us uh, in next year, which I think will be interesting. And look, the other thing that we've touched on, again, sorry to be the most boring guy in the room, but but privacy is also going to be quite a significant change, I think, that's coming down the line. And I think uh, there's a real opportunity for us as an industry to get ahead of that. Um, and, and that's going to result. I think that's ultimately going to be a, a, a good thing for publishers. I mean, if you, if you look at the direction of travel, um, Privacy regulations are going up. Apple's obviously um, increasing uh, the privacy uh, regime with, with ATT and the like. And what that's doing, like it or, or not, is, is the internet is again becoming a series of wall gardens. Um, that's ultimately they're going to be good, I think, for publishers that you know know their audience and uh, where the only way you can access them is by talking to publishers direct. So we're kind of going back to a fairly old-fashioned way of doing advertising, I think, but, but that is for the good. The last thing I'll say, Callum, is just on social media. I think, I mean, this isn't necessarily just related to news publishers, but I think it is uh, interesting and relevant all the same, uh, or, or loosely relevant all the same. And that is that it's really fascinating what's going on with social media at the moment, because we've gone from sort of the last five, 10 years or so, where the success of the social media platforms, I guess Facebook in particular, has been all beat, built around this, this social graph. And what TikTok has showed in the last year or two is that that is far less important than people realise. 
and actually algorithmic content is actually going to be something where you can you can generate a really substantial audience audience engagement it's gonna be really interesting to see what that does to social media in general and then at the same time you've got elon you know taking a blowtorch through twitter and and uh in a fairly callous way let's let's see where that ends up as well but i think that we're going to end up with a very different media environment by the end of next year than where than where we are now Peter, I'll um, give you a bit a, a shorter version of that question. What's on your radar yeah. for 2023? Uh, look, I think we've had a really tough few years. I think that pandemic has changed so many lives, and you know, really grim stuff. I think I, I think we we search pretty hard to, to to find some uplifting stories and inspire people a bit. There's a little bit of a few people have turned off turned off news because they're sick and tired of hearing the negative the negative stuff. And I think you know, inspiring people, inspiring stories is something we should. We should all all go for. Um, look, I think the the first full year of the Albanese government will turn up a lot of issues to discuss. I think one of the one of the big talking points next year will be the will be the voice, uh, and my, my hope would be that that discussion about the voice. Once we get some clarity about exactly what its purpose is and what people are going to be voting for, I'm I certainly hope it's a unifying force and not a divisive force in Australia. It's too important to get wrong, so I think we have to tread pretty carefully. But you know, I I, I and I think. As a business, we we discuss it, you know, often, and we want to see this unify the country and and serve a purpose and make it a better nation and a better nation for Indigenous people. And uh, we'll come to you, Lisa. Yeah, oh, that's a, a excellent point, Peter. And I I can't um I can't support that kind of sentiment enough. I think it is so important. And I think I think that um I guess I guess the news mix idea and what people are interested in is really changing. I think on the back of COVID, and I think um, it's incumbent on all uh, media outlets, whether they be editors or, or CEOs, um, to to really think about what we're delivering for people and engage with those audiences to you know continue to do that more and more deeply. Um, I think from my personal perspective, next year is going to be really crucial for AAP. We obviously um, want to hang around. Um, and so I've got some big challenges ahead, but I think we're in a really strong position. And, uh, you know, I think over the last few months, just my travelling around and talking to people has has realised the huge value that AAP provides to the media landscape and hope we can continue to do that in new and interesting ways too, not just in the traditional news media, uh, the, you know, traditional news wire service but in in other interesting ways and i'm looking certainly to partner with different different outlets um create some opportunities here and overseas and um yeah and and really kind of take take a traditional newswire that's been around for nearly 90 years um to a new level well it's been fantastic having each of you on here to share your insights on the year that was and um i guess was uh, taking your focus into the year ahead so uh peter lisa and dan i want to thank you very much for joining me cheers callum thanks Callum. Pleasure, callum all the best to, to all of you and your listeners <laughs> yes <laughs> in umbrella land in umbrella land that's it for this special episode of the Mumbrella Cast. Thanks again to Peter, to Lisa, and to Dan for joining me. We are on the final stretch here for the year on the Mumbrella Cast. We'll be back on Tuesday with another panel discussion, this time with some guests to chat about the year in marketing and advertising. But for now, thanks for listening and see you later.